Hi everyone, you're listening to another episode of Girls Who Product, a series of interviews with the ladies who beat the product ceiling. Our main goal is to inspire women all over the world to get into the product profession. And today we're joined by Christina Walker-Mayer, who is a senior product manager at Zalando. Welcome, Christina. Hi. Christina, thank you very much for joining us. Today we're going to discuss some very important questions about Christina's journey into product management, uh, about her education and about the ways you can get into the product profession. And also she's going to talk about the ways she is leading mobile products. I know that before starting career of a product manager at Zalando, you have actually been into a world of business consulting for around three years. What were the positives and the negatives of working with so many different clients, you know, managing so many different projects and actually bridging so many stakeholders? So uh, thanks for the invite, first of all. Um, yeah, before I started my career in product management on, let's say, the corporate side of things, I was uh, working in agencies, um, mostly mobile only agencies but also 300 uh, 360 degree agencies which were focused mostly on digital um, where i worked as a mobile consultant um, well when i started in the world of mobile it was uh, was 2010 which was a very interesting time because we still needed to to explain big clients like automotive companies for example in germany where mobile is going to be important so I think what I what were definitely the positives of things that you learn so much about different industries um, because every time when you need to consult someone you need to understand what are the needs and uh, maybe also a little bit the frustrations um, the requirements of each single industry and this can be very different for for example for the automotive sector than for like the television business or um, for example supermarket chains. So all of them have like really different needs and mobile itself has different different potentials, different opportunities how to meet those needs. So it was every time digging deep into an industry uh, was something where I learned a lot. Um, so that was definitely uh, one of the positive things. It also never got boring because you usually worked on one or two clients at the same time. So um, every time when you really dig deep into a project and maybe you just need to get your head free of things, you could just jump into the other one. And I think that's something I definitely liked. Um, working with a lot of different clients um, helped me definitely to work with people. Um, I think today in product management, it's all about people management um, because you're constantly talking to developers, to designers, to your stakeholders, to upper management. Um, so you need to understand how you work with different kind of people. And I think if you have different clients, it's the best practice how you can do so because you have clients that sometimes even become your friends. Um, but then you also have like um, really people in higher management, upper management positions. So you need, especially when you start your career, it was really helpful for me that my, my lead usually took me everywhere and uh, I could learn from her a lot how she would treat different clients also differently. So this is something I also learned, let's say people management. Um, also, uh, implementing a lot of different projects. I think in the agency world is much faster. So you deliver on projects, and after you deliver the project, your work is done for, for let's say, for this project. I think that's the biggest difference also to product management, um, because product management, in my eyes, 
start when the work of an agency actually is over. So an agency time is more about the consulting part than setting up the project together with the client and deliver it. And this is where product management and companies start because if you brought like the MD, like uh, the minimal version of your product out to the world, then you now need to check the numbers, you need to iterate on it, you um, need to uh, to get the feedback from your customers and try to just evolve your product based on your customers' needs. I think that's the biggest difference, and this can be a downside on on agency sites, which can be a little bit frustrating not only for for the engineers and the designers, but also for you as a, let's say, consultant, account manager, project manager, because you brought something out and if your client doesn't book tracking or even the follow-up on KPIs, uh, because most of the companies don't do that, uh, you, will never, you will never find out if your, if your product is really successful. I think, a lot, even though I think a lot of this has changed in the past, so also agencies are moving more to a product management model now, but back in the days, from my experience, that was a little bit uh, the downside of things. And coming back actually to the very beginnings of your career, I, I know that you have you hold two university degrees in science. Could you please maybe tell us a bit more about your student life? Um, was it highly competitive? How did you imagine your future profession back then? So, well, when I moved to Berlin, actually, I came here and started studying the science of music and culture for two semesters. Um, because I had a strong music background, I was in a boarding school for music, and so it made sense for me to study something well, which was related to music. To be frank, I always wanted to become a product manager at Universal back at the time, at Universal Records. But after studying it for two semesters, I somehow had the feeling, okay, I'm interested in that, like in my private life, but I had to I could not imagine how this studying program was ever related to anything practical I could do afterwards. So um, that was something that I missed. And since I was really good in mathematics, that was really the only reason, I decided to study business at a university. Because business and universities is like highly mathematics driven. So it's a lot of numbers and it's just a lot of calculating. And if you're good in it, to be frank, you just have a very easy time in uni. And that's the reason how I ended up studying business. Uh, so I first did my bachelor in uh, bachelor in science in, in business in Berlin. Um, and then I did my master's in, in Potsdam. In between, I, did, I worked in management consulting uh, for one year, which also helped me a lot to gain a lot of experience, which helps me today in product management. Um, I would not really say that studying business in a public university in Germany was really competitive. Um, I think it's really outdated. It's very traditional. And you, to be frank, you don't learn anything that you would need in the practical world. At least for me, that was the case. So whoever who starts to study anything today, I would highly recommend go to a business school, um, but don't go to a public university because it's, it's still like really outdated. Um, I have a feeling even like when we're talking about marketing or e-finance like we had a, a class called e-finance it was so far away from from reality and from the internet like not not even e-commerce was was taught in school so jobs like product management would not even have come to my mind during my studies actually how i ended up in product management um, was more that after i worked in management consulting understood oh consulting it's really interesting because you you dive deep into certain industries um, you help your clients to detect structures or setting up strategies. So that's something I really like. 
but I didn't like the environment of management consulting. So I thought, well, what, what else is out, out there? And then uh, I found a company where I could do an internship, which was focused on mobile development. So the job was about setting up mobile strategies. And as I said, this was 2010. And that's how I got my first job as an intern. And then uh, afterwards, I worked part-time for them during my master's studies. And uh, yeah, this is how I got into the mobile sphere of things. And after doing that, um, a long time on agency side, from project to project, from client to client, um, I thought now it's, I gained a lot of experience and I would never want to miss it because actually I applied. During my studies, I applied them for product management. But for me, it was the right step to don't do it back in the times, but rather gain a, uh, the broad experience from different industries, which helps me now a lot make my products better. Because what I never do is actually when I improve my product, I never work. I, I, I don't want to learn from the compet competition in my industry because this is boring. That's what everyone does. That's just the industry standard. But to, to elevate your product, and to really make it better, you need to learn from other industries. So I prefer to learn from the music industry. So when I think about like engagement, creating habits and personalization, I rather learn from, from great products like Spotify or Pinterest or Instagram. So these are the guys I'm looking up to. And this is, this is what I do. I try to understand those industries, how they engage with their customers. And then I want to break it down for my product. And I think this is something uh, I definitely learned during that times. And um, yeah, but product management in my studies was never something um, which was somehow promoted. And to be frank, I don't think any of my peers from universities even work in such, let's say, a modern environment as I do. Um, I have one friend, she's doing product management, but in a very traditional in way in a brick and mortar company, which is not comparable that what we do. Um, but what I did is actually I contacted one of my teachers at university and offered and offered to run a, a weekend seminary around product management because it's so important. Um, but uh, the answer in this time was also, yes, we can talk about it, but usually this takes up to one or two years until the traditional university can set something like that up. So it's bureaucracy in Germany, uh, I think, takes a little bit too long for it quickly introduce in a way this seminaries like that. So everybody is aware about this problem that public universities in the majority of countries in the European Union at least are very old-fashioned. How do you think personally we can actually stand stand against it and make a change? I think it's uh, the job of um, us and when I say us I mean us bigger companies that do have the influence um to go to bigger universities because it's a great recruitment channel and present those innovative jobs i think this is the right way to do it and i think this happens a lot in let's say technical um university subjects like engineering because everyone wants to grab the 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 talented engineers first um but it's a shame that this doesn't happen in let's say more traditional subjects like business or even um, in more artsy subjects like, I don't know, art history or something like that. So, uh, or science of culture and music, for example, because in the end, it doesn't really matter what you have studied. I don't think you necessarily need a business degree to become a product manager. You just need to, you need to fall in love with the product. You need to be excited. You need to be curious. And I think that's, that's what you need. And it's not really about holding a business degree necessarily. Let's say 
somebody has just graduated from the university and wants to try its best in um, in business management consultant. Uh, you just mentioned that there were a lot of things that you actually didn't like in your first jobs as a business consultant. Can you just outline some of them? Well, I mean, when I just talk about management consulting, which I only did for one year, the other ones was more agency side. Um, the the first management consulting job for me, um, I can just remember I was in the beginning of my 20s and I was sitting in a room which was like 20, maybe 20 square meters. And there were like six men and me. And six men, they were like 40, 50 plus year olds and me. And I just could remember like spending my days there and don't even have like, you know, a more, a more private conversation with those people. And you sit there for 12 hours a day and all that it is is about business and there's no private talk around. This was like an environment where I felt I cannot survive because it just made me unhappy. The job itself was great. Um, but it was just an environment where I had the feeling it was not for me. Do you think that you are still being challenged as a woman and society expects you every day to go out there and to prove, yes, I can do it. Yes, I'm a superwoman. Um, to be frank, for a long time, I thought I could not understand that because I grew up, you know, I have older brothers and... I would say that parents were quite traditional, like my dad was the one who had studied, who had like the perfect job, like my mom, my mom also had a, actually a good job, but it was not treated like that. So I somehow understood from home a little bit, you need to be different as a woman, more like a guy um, to be respected unconsciously, unconsciously. And, uh, but then since I grew up with like guys and I also had a lot of male friends, I always had the feeling this problem never affects me um, and I never felt treated differently than another man, for example. I could see that I treated other women differently, but I never had the feeling like it's, it appears for me as well. After I read Lean In from Sheryl Sandberg, and you cannot debate on the book, I don't want to get into this, but um, what was really eye-opening to me is how unconsciously you are perceived being different as a woman. And then she showed all those examples. And this was like really eye-opening for me. And from that moment on, I saw it. Because you're in a meeting room or you're just speaking about your successes and suddenly you speak about your successes. Like I'm talking about I, me. And suddenly people are like looking at you and you, you see it. No one is proud of you. No one is like saying, oh, yeah, that's awesome. Like people would leave the room and they were like, oh, what kind of arrogant, you know. And uh, I could I could see that kind of thing. And the same thing is if like my male colleagues would actually use the same exact words, everyone is like, oh, awesome, dude. Yeah, high five, you know. And um, I could see that. Yeah, I could see that in various situations that women have to prove themselves on the one side, but then if you've proven yourself and you actually manage to uh, solve for solve the situation or be successful, then also no one would say, oh yeah, she's awesome. But um, it's, it's like a really weird situation and I would definitely agree that people perceive women which are, let's say, a little bit selfish and also look for their own successes are perceived as not being maybe the the women you want to hang out with. Yes, I would say I've experienced that. And this is also something 
that they share with a lot of women here in the company. I think we have a lot of amazing women. And it's really interesting that now we're like we're exchanging more and more and more. Also through your initiative, I think this was also something which brought us a bit closer together. And uh, yeah, it's on the one side, it's surprising and at the same time frightening that this thing happens to a lot of women, but at least now we can exchange about it and talk openly about it. Do you remember your first interview for the product manager position? How was it? What kind of feelings you had? Were you scared? Um, and were there any tricky questions that you didn't know how to reply? And what surprised you the most? My very first one was a little bit too casual because it was just a lunch. <laughs> and um, so that was not like the hard part for me, I would say. Um, what surprised me is a little bit that I asked the question, so tell me how the typical day looked like. And it was the vice president back in the time, and he would just reply back and ask me, how do you want your day to look like? And uh, he was like, in the end, you're the creator of your day and you're the owner of your day. So you can create the day what you want. So there was something um, that was really nice. Um, other interviews I did, especially with, like I said, bigger companies. Um, one thing that surprised me a lot, which can be really frightening, especially for people who are not used to that is, that bigger companies are shifting more and more to competence-based interviews. So the, some companies will tell you at the very beginning so that they only focus on the competency questions and you can um, ask questions afterwards and some don't tell you. And this can be both frightening and irritating at, at the very beginning because if you talk to, let's say, mid-sized companies, you have these normal interview situations, people usually ask you questions, tell me what kind of person you are, describe yourself in three words, so also, they, it's about you as a person. And the interview process shifting in bigger companies, and let's say talking about five biggest tech companies in the world, they're really not asking anything at all. And they're not, they don't want you to talk about like anything personal, like really focusing on the competencies. Um, they're doing this because they don't want to be biased if they like you as a person or not, which can be a good thing. Um, because they don't want that you, you win them over by being like by, by sympathy or even um, unsympathy, if you want to have it that way. Um, it can be a good thing because it's really then on the competencies and not anything else. But uh, I think this has two sides of the coins. And to me also, this usually gives me a little bit the feeling you're not hiring a robot, you're hiring a, a person. And also, usually when I decide for which company I want to work with, uh, it's mostly also about the people because I don't want to work or spend like 40, 50 hours a week with people. I, I have no idea if I can have a personal connection with them. And I think especially when it comes to building products, you need to have people around you that you're clicking with, um, that you can connect with, um, because otherwise you will never build a successful product. And if you get to interview someone for a product manager position, nowadays what would be the three essential questions that you would ask that person so first of all i mean usually the first question i would ask is usually who are you who are you like before we go into anything who are you as a person tell me what you do tell me what your dreams are tell me what your passion is what do you do in your free time um because this first of all creates some kind of a warm atmosphere and I want the people that I interview that to feel comfortable like around me and that they can also like speak about themselves that's what people like and just to feel comfortable and I also just want to understand like which person I'm I'm buying into basically the second question would be 
I usually try to give them a situation that I had in the past um, and try to understand how they would solve it. Um, so, for example, we had we had in the company we had a different situation um, that customers perceived something worse in the app than they did on web, even though it was more or less presented the same way. And it was we had a really hard time figuring out what it was. And um, so I described a little bit the situation, and I would let the uh, the, the the candidates um, describe a little bit what they would have a look into, what they would do then, like let them do uh, a lot of assumptions. I think this is like really important. Um, and then I would ask a question around if you don't get any further, let's say you wanna you're dependent on a different team and they don't put it in their goals of the year uh, or you need it really urgently and they don't want to they, they say they don't have the resources or they have different priorities what would you do um, because i believe also from those kind of questions you can learn a lot how a candidate would react in terms of stress in terms of a lot of pressure um, if they have the calmness the coolness and also the people skills to to find the right solutions yeah I think that's the three, if I have to pick three questions, it would be one about around the person itself. The second would be about how do you approach a problem? And the third one is um, how do you deal with, with people um, you're dependent on or in general with people in stressful and pressure situations? What makes Leading Mobile so different from any other products? Well, as I said, when I started in mobile in 2010, it was a completely different world. So some people, some geeks had an iPhone. Uh, no one knew what Android was. Android was more or less the platform or the phones for geeks, like for really tech nerds. And um, we always showed those, you know, those graphs where you could see how mobile internet is like increasing and the usage of desktop internet is decreasing. And we always said, hey, in a few years, the mobile line will cross the desktop usage line. So mobile internet will outpace the desktop internet soon. And I think right now, so for example, at Zalando, we're now at 80% mobile traffic. So back in the time, this was completely different. We were at 20, 30% of mobile traffic. Um, so I think I've seen mobile, like the rise of mobile since from, from the very beginning on. And in the very beginning, it was a little bit this app craziness. Every client thought, oh, we need an app. And um, I think at the very beginning, a lot of agencies took the advantage and made a lot of money by creating a lot of unuseless, like useless apps for, for any kind of company. So for every campaign, they sold apps, which I never understood. So what I really liked is to put the question back to my client and said, why do you think you need an app? And then a lot of times it turned out it doesn't make sense to, to create an app. Um, and I think until today, mobile has not like, I think mobile, the full potential of mobile has not really been leveraged. So I believe still that um, there's still a lot of potential, especially in, in e-commerce or in mobile commerce. I think no one has really cracked the nut of mobile commerce so far. I think there's no outstanding example for mobile commerce. Um, I think I'm proud that we're definitely leading the way of mobile commerce uh, with Zalando. Um, but I think there's not a lot of good examples at the moment where I would say we can look up to um, because there's none. So if you see how, for example, e-commerce has evolved, 
lot of traditional retailers are now bankrupt because they have not understood that e-commerce is more than putting products on a website. E-commerce was more. You know, there was like campaigning, there was social media, there was SEO, like a lot of stuff. So e-commerce was more than putting a product online. And I think the same shift is happening from e-commerce to m-commerce, that m-commerce is more than just squeezing down a screen and having like the products on a mobile phone and maybe make them available for touch interactions. I think mobile commerce is actually much more because if you if you observe how other industries, how consumers um, or customers consume content on mobile phones, it's really different. I think the whole mobile for me is is not a channel; it's a customer behavior. Because within mobile, if you look into journalism, you have this snackable content. No one wants to read long articles anymore. In the end, no one even wants to read Facebook posts anymore. So we just want to see images. So on all kind of different services, what people are doing is they want to reduce their cognitive effort. And I think whatever mobile service you build, you need to build it for a consumer behavior, which reduces any kind of cognitive effort that you use. And I think no one is doing that right, because still on, on a mobile device, you still need to click on categories and you need to think, oh, what do I need? And then maybe you have something in mind, you cannot describe it but you still have to search for it or click through categories you do not understand. We still put so much cognitive effort on our customers. And I think it's just a matter of time until someone really understands mobile, mobile e-commerce is working differently. But I mean, this is what we're working on. <laughs> so I, I really hope that uh, we at Zalando with our product, we can crack that nut. But despite working not only with mobile, you're working first and foremost at Zalando, which is one of uh, the Europe's top best online fashion retailers. So as I assume, as a senior product manager, you should have some deep expertise in fashion industry. Isn't it like that? Uh, no, I would not consider myself as like being super interested in fashion. I mean, if people would see me, I usually, I like, I like to be dressed up nicely. So I usually wear nice dresses or I don't know, I, but I actually am not good. Like, I don't know a lot of brands to be frank. I'm not, I'm, I was never a girl buying fashion magazines. And personally, I do not consume a lot of fashion content myself. And if I'm really honest, I'm not even sure if I should say this out loud in public. I hate online shopping, like especially for fashion. But to be frank, I think this makes me the best product manager ever in my industry because I just want to make it easy for customers and find the right things to make it really relevant. Um, yeah, and I think this is uh, this is next to inspiration. I think the big the biggest challenge that we do have in online shopping that people cannot find things. People don't want to search one and a half million products in a catalog. So how can we create more relevancy and just make it easier for customers to find the right products they like? Um, yeah, so to answer your question, uh, I learned a lot about the fashion industry, believe me. I also know, know a lot of brands I've never known before. And what I really like is uh, for several challenges, whenever like I, I want to understand, for example, how can I improve the filter experience for my customers? What I would do is actually, uh, I will set up meeting expert interviews, I call them, with my colleagues uh, of the fashion department. 
because they know so much about like, you know, different challenges in sports, different challenges for men, different challenges for kids' clothes or for premium clothes, fast fashion. So I would usually, whenever I want to understand how I can improve the experiences of the premises I lead, I would get in touch with my colleagues from the fashion expert, uh, fashion department to get their expertise uh, on how to improve our products. So that's how I learned. But it was not that I had a lot of experience when I started in the fashion industry. I just had a lot of pains and frustrations, and uh, I hope I solved some of them. <laughs> but I guess you're right. If you want to have a rational rational decision if you want to make rational decision you have to make it with a cold cold mind and cold heart let's maybe talk a little bit more about the products and the projects that you have managed that you have taken throughout your career can you please tell us uh, about the project or the product that challenged you the most and why was it so challenging for you so i think at the moment um i'm i'm leading the browsing shop and find team within the F. So the browsing shop and find team, these are actually two feature teams, um, which we combined into one uh, at the moment. And it covers the whole customer journey from our category selection screen or search uh, over catalog and the filters to the product detail page and the wish list. So it's a quite long customer journey. Usually it's split into two parts. Um, I think it's at the moment quite challenging um, already to keep an overview on the whole journey because it's a very long journey and um, I think it covers our most visited pages. For example, the product detail page is of course the most visited page and um, to be able to iterate um, and to innovate at the same time on such a big um, journey is uh, quite challenging um, because it's a very broad journey. and. Um, I think at the same moment on web, we have for each single touch point, we have single product teams and product managers. So I think that's the biggest challenge at the moment uh, that we do have. Um, so I have two people in my team uh, that support me with that. Um, yeah, but I think the most challenging feature I would say I worked for was a feature I was actually pretty new into product management and there was a feature, it was not driven by our team, it came from, I don't know, it was driven by stakeholders and somehow it made up its way into our OKRs, like in our yearly goals, um, without being aligned with us. And we had not planned it in at all and it seemed all such a little tiny feature and then while digging deep into it, like it came out, there were so many dependencies, there were so many hacks on front end side, on back end side, involved to get this done. We were working like with white label customer lists, which were basically somehow Excel lists, and we got together. So it was just hacks all over the place. Um, and we always, or we always said like, oh, worst nightmare is that this feature performed good, because then we would knew everyone would just say like, you need to roll it out, you need to roll it out. But since it was just based on different hacks on every side. There was no way that we could anyway roll this out. And then, of course, it happened what needed to happen, that uh, this little feature, which was just super hacked together, was probably one of the most uh, financially successful A-B tests we ever ran. So our management board said, okay, you need to roll this out to more sizes because we need to see if this really scales in that way. 
And of course, we couldn't do it. So there was a lot of conversations back and forth. And it was just so painful to make everyone understand it's not that easy. If you want to rebuild this thing properly, it would just take a year. Um, and I think these are like the, the biggest challenges that some things end up on your table, which you not have planned in because everyone thought, oh, that's just really easy. Like, we just want to run a test. You don't need to implement it properly. And then even this little mini test turns out to be the most complex project of the quarter, which involves a lot of external teams with a lot of dependencies. Even within, within the team, we have front-end and back-end developers in our team. Even for them, everyone was blocked by this project. And then you even build something for the trash can in the end. I mean, in the end, it's fine. Yeah, that's what we do in product management. We're testing concepts. Um, but then, of course, your stakeholders and your business stakeholders, especially, sometimes do not really understand that you cannot just roll out things like that. And uh, that's a lot of, I would say, people management involved by managing the expectations that if you want to do that, we need to commit to that. And then it can take us up to, let's say, half a year or even a year to do that properly. And uh, since I was really new to the game, I think I learned a lot, especially also technically, uh, how everything works within the company. Uh, but I also learned a lot of, yeah, a lot of people management. And also I know that uh, from our previous conversation that uh, you're planning to start a series of your own podcast interviews. Can you please tell more about that? I was in a I was I was in a longer vacation earlier this year for three and a half months and uh, well I was wondering when I came back well what what do I want to do like is is it still product management is there something else so I was a little bit well challenging myself um, if there's something else I want to try out because I think we're still young I think it's now the time to try out a lot of cool things and I'm bringing to the table a lot of different experiences from different jobs. Um, so I was wondering, maybe there's even another industry or another kind of, let's say, job area where I could not only leverage, let's say, 50% of the potential I have, but maybe even 100%. Because I don't, I don't believe that job descriptions today are really, are really um, helping us to really bring out the whole potential because they're really limited. Uh, so I was wondering, I was talking to recruiters, I was looking out there, and uh, when I talked to recruiters, for example, I often heard like, yeah, let's have a look at, your, at our job board, but I wanted to move away a little bit. Uh, I actually was more looking for a coaching or a different way of job search on how can I find a job based on my skills, on my experiences, on my competencies, and maybe even add more softer factors like working from home, uh, working from different locations. I was wondering, why do we measure ourselves by sitting eight hours in an office rather than defining an impact per day or impact per week? And it doesn't matter how long it takes for it. So these were like these questions that I came up with. And I talked to a lot of people. And obviously, a lot of people do have this problem by um, challenging a little bit their, their employment situation. And the, 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 the answer you get on the internet for rethinking your employment situation is usually quit your job, become happy, and then you go to Bali, become self-employed, and eventually you become a life coach. So I thought, mm, okay, self-employment is nothing for me. I'm not that risk affine. But I believe, especially with the generation, let's say, 10 years younger than me, they're jumping between jobs more and more and more. So it will happen that 
people will have very diverse job profiles. And it's not that, you know, straightforward anymore as we are like ever in product management for the last 10 years. So how do companies react to those diverse profiles, which may not fit into the standardized job profiles anymore? So this is a conversation I want to have with companies. And uh, on the same side, I want to introduce and present people with interesting profiles that either have a very interesting job I never heard of, or um, that have people that have created something really special, meaningful, out of their current really standardized job. So it's called Employee, and it's about like rethinking employment situations, and uh, hopefully it will launch in September. And yeah, since we're already touching upon the topic of being happy at your workplace, do you think that product management is a profession or it's a vocation? It's a call of your passion. If I would define it out of the, the product management theory, out of the school book, I would say it's a vocation, it's a call. Um, but honestly, I don't believe that all companies work like that. A lot of companies use product management as an excuse for better project management. And for some companies, it's important that you bring those skills because they just work like that and they traditionally work like that. Um, for them, I would call it rather a profession. If you want to be a good product manager, you need to bring some, you need to bring some skills. And I would rather even say it's, it's a certain kind of character, even personality that you need to bring because you, you always need to be excited. You should never be afraid of asking questions. You would never, should never be afraid of challenging the status quo. Um, I think you should be somehow, you should bring, I think a lot of creativity because in the end you are also coming up together with your team, but you're also coming up with a lot of um, solutions. You should bring um, a certain amount of people skills. Um, you should not be afraid of speaking in public because you need to motivate your team. Also in like, let's say, tougher times, you need to be the one always who stays positive, uh, who still can communicate the positive um, impact that the team is creating. And even if you need to deliver something, um, which maybe the team is not super motivated at the moment because it's a global project. Um, I don't know. You still need to, um, to, to, to be the communicator why we're doing this and why it's important to the company. And I think that's why a positive mindset is also really, really crucial. Um, I can see that some companies starting to hire um, people which are like purely data driven, like this is a trend which is currently going on um, in a lot of companies and I think it's important because a lot of companies were not really good in it but I think that's one side of the coin um, because that's one skill that people definitely need to bring but I think the other skills I just mentioned like people skills, being staying positive, motivating your team um, being also yeah, able to, to change the mood in your team from time to time and being a good stakeholder manager, this is also um, as important as being data-driven. So I think there should be a good equilibrium of, of skills. And as I mentioned, this is already a lot that you need to bring to the table. 
And I think you don't need to be really skilled or experienced when you ever you start that job, but you should be really you should be open, you should ask a lot of questions, you should be excited about what you're doing. And yeah, I think that's that's what I would like to say. Yeah. So and I think if you just think about product management purely as a profession, you will not be successful with your product. And the last word, at the end of each interview, we ask our interviewers to give uh, some inspirational advice for women who, who want to enter into the product management, but they're afraid to do so. So maybe you can give some something what you were missing when you were, when you were at the very beginning of your career. Before you start a job, I think it really makes sense to read a good book. I highly recommend The Bible of Product Management, inspired um, by Marty Kagan. I think this gives you a really, really good overview. It's, it's quite high level, but it gives you a good overview on product management should work. Um, so I think you should get the theory right. Also watch, um, watch videos on, on YouTube which can inspire you to so know a little bit how product management should work and what you can learn from more experienced people. If you don't have any, anyone around you, you could ask. And um, choose a product or a company that you're interested in. Um, because I think it's really hard to create a product people love if you don't love it yourself. Um, so as I said, for me, the challenge was how can I make online shopping comfortable for myself <laughs> and if you've managed to to enter a product position within the company I think the biggest advice I can give young women is don't be afraid don't be afraid to ask questions don't be afraid to raise your voice don't be afraid to become uncomfortable don't be afraid of coming up with your own ideas don't be afraid of challenging so I had a lead uh, also here in the company, and this is what I learned from her is whenever you have the feeling like, oh, we're doing this, but I don't believe in it, then you should stand up and find out why you don't believe in it. Maybe there's something wrong with it, and just no one um, has the guts to speak it out loud. And if you do that from the very beginning, you will be, even on a junior position, a person was really changing things for the better. And I think it just helps you also on your on your career that people see that you're not afraid. I see that especially within younger women, that um, they are afraid of, of speaking up or speaking up their opinion. If I could see that in a lot of meetings that people, no one would raise their voice. And if you went out of the meeting room, everyone was like, oh my God, this is so shit. Have you seen that? Oh, and, I'm, and I was usually like, but why have you not said it? Like, why are you not saying that in front of everyone? Yeah, and then I heard a lot of things like, oh, well, you should, well, I'm not sure, like, on my position. I'm like, don't care about your position. Like, if you have the feeling this is not right or it's not it's not what the customer wants, I think it's not, it's about what the customer wants. Um, you should always speak up your mind. So I have this, I'm a big fan of disagree and commit. That means we should disagree, we should speak out loud, we should, we should be transparent of the concerns that we do have. If especially top-down things come or some stakeholders want you to do something, disagree, disagree openly, be transparent. 
but whenever a decision is taken within your team, commit to it. Because this is what we do. We are following the strategy of the company. And I think that's why it's important to, to speak out loud, be transparent. But if a decision has been made, commit to it. And um, yeah, and I think what's important to understand within a company, especially from a business commercial driven company, we in product, we are the lawyers of the customer. In the end, we are the ones fighting for the rights for our customers. Uh, and sometimes business, business side wants to have something that they're not thinking customer centric. And this is our job within the company to understand the business needs and to find solutions which are customer-centric and fulfill both a customer need and a business need. Actually, you've mentioned about also Marty Kagan. He's coming this year to Productize Conference to give a workshop and he's also to going to give a talk during our conference day. And uh, I would love to invite you for the conference day to, you know, it would be great if you could meet him in person. And it was great to talk to you. And uh, I really hope that uh, I meet you in person in Lisbon. Let's just stay in touch. Thank you very much for this uh, really interesting conversation. Yeah, all right. See you, bye-bye.